we were in negotiations for investing in real estate. They're winning, they're making money. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Real Estate Educators Podcast, where we provide the education you can build on. I am your host, Kevin Amalsh. This podcast is a little different than the other podcasts you might have heard about real estate because we focus on real estate investors, but also we get into some of the content creation and the support behind that. So we are dedicated to help you, the real estate investor and the real estate educator, build your wealth. If you haven't yet, please give me a five-star review and share this with a friend because I am going to share a friend with you today. Uh, Mr. Alex May, you know, we've known each other for several years now. I'm excited to get to know you a little bit better here on this podcast. So you started out in aerospace, designing and flying satellites, and you went from that to apartment buildings and real estate investing, and now you're putting the syndications together, you're bringing in private capital um, you're doing some really amazing things. So I'm really excited to hear your story. Alex, tell us, uh, well, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Kevin. Yeah, happy to be on. It's a good way to start the new year. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am excited, man. So tell us, um, tell us a little bit about this transition from being an engineer at Lockheed to getting into real estate investing. Yeah, cool. Will do. Um, well, I guess the... Uh, I think one of the questions you gave me to prepare just a little bit was, you know, what motivated me to get into real estate in the first place? And, you know, I think it was kind of a twofold thing. Um, one that I think happens to a lot of people is they read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by yeah. Robert Kiyosaki, yep. which is definitely like a causes some mental shifts in the way you think about money and finances. So I read that, you know, about 20 years ago. And yeah, it was like 20 years ago when I moved to Denver, started working um, in the aerospace business um, and started thinking like, okay, I like what I'm doing for work, but at the same time, I kind of like the idea of financial freedom. And, uh, you know, I think everyone goes into a career and starts investing in their 401k and, you know, kind of has on their radar that someday they're going to retire and, you know, then you have to figure out what's after that. And so, I don't know, it was a long kind of journey just trying to get that understanding of uh, moving from working for your income versus kind of having investments uh, fund your lifestyle. Um, I guess so reading that book was definitely a big change for me. And then also I grew up, my dad, uh, he was an electrician, had a business, but he was buying rental properties. It's kind of a side thing. And I can remember driving around with him. I'd help him out of the properties. I mowed yards and he told me how, you know, these properties were kind of paying for themselves and someday they'd be paid off. And then, you know, he'd have this extra income from these properties. So that was always in the back of my mind, but I guess I never really uh, realized it until I read that book and these things all kind of came together of, okay, real estate investing is like a really good way to reach financial freedom. And so really started pursuing that and, Instead of, you know, trying to figure out how to do stock investing and and just have no control and, you know, how these other companies are doing, um, really start getting more active and buying rental properties. And um, yeah, I did that for, got my first, I guess, bought a house 20 years ago and had did kind of what they call house hacking now. I had friends living with me who worked at the same company, which was cool. They rented rooms and then... In 2007, I bought a rental property in Denver. It was a three-unit building. Um, got to learn what it's like to be a landlord and fix things up and deal with uh, challenging tenants. And 
you know, 2007 was right before the big crash of 08. And um, that was like a, a big lesson of like, oh my gosh, like, I think I was definitely upside down on in, for, as far as equities. I took out a home line of credit on my house to buy this rental property. And then the value of that property went down too. But it was a huge lesson in like the buy and hold mentality because I was just, you know, buying this place to rent it out anyway and it kept renting. So it was cash flowing even though values went down. So I probably couldn't have sold even if I wanted to. And I'm glad I didn't because, you know, eventually things turn around and real estate appreciates in the long run. Um, so it worked out really well. But yeah, that was a good lesson. Just, uh, you know, buy and hold versus trying to always time the market and like quick fix and flip type um, approach. It's um, interesting. So you, we, a lot, we've had a lot of guests on the show and <clears throat> what you share in common with almost everybody is the rich dad, poor dad. <laughs> what you don't share with many of them is that you actually live through the crash. There, there hasn't been a ton of investors that have been, wasn't, were investing 16 years ago. Mm-hmm. So that's, you actually came through unscathed. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. It was it definitely slowed me down because, you know, wanted had this plan of like just buying rental properties every year, um, kind of saving up and buying them. But 2007, you know, there was, it was hard to come up with, you know, equity to buy another one, especially in the first one, you know, values were down, but my wife and I got married in 2010. We both love the idea of doing real estate investing. So that was kind of the start of like making it a real uh, side business. We started, you know, just saving up our incomes and buying a property every year if we could. Started going into two properties every year, you know, starting in 2010. We did do a fix and flip. We worked our butts off on it and thankfully made a few bucks, but it was like not worth, if you go look at how much time we spent on it, we just like look back like a year after we sold, like, oh my gosh, why did we sell that? And then two years later, like, why did we sell that? Three years later, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been a really fun business. And you asked, I guess, the question, like how I made that transition. And it was kind of having these uh, side incomes outside of my my career, um, which, you know, is definitely like a slow and steady uh, wealth generator. You know, you can have big wins too, but the mentality of, you know, slow and steady, just like you would in, um, you know, investing in your traditional like 401ks and whatnot, like those aren't meant to, you know, get rich quick, but we've been able to do way better in our real estate investing than we have in like those 401ks that we've, you know, still have, but um, the values of our real estate portfolio far exceeded that and got to the point where, you know, having income from our real estate was exceeding what we're making working in our careers and that was kind of the goal in the first place and so then I was like okay well uh, we really like you know working together which is great and we like the real estate business um we love having our own schedules and just the you know the hard work you put in you get to reap the benefits and we've you know been able to do a lot of great things in the community as far as fixing up properties and being able to really provide for both the tenants as well as a lot of our investors. So as we've grown our business, we've gotten to the point where we're buying bigger properties and we you know, have people partner with us. They invest kind of as a passive real estate investment. And then we can you know, go out, find those deals and put together the business plans, buy the properties, operate them. You know, we work with really great management companies and um, get the properties performing so we can have cash flow to us and our investors and 
and then you know down the road sell the properties and as yeah, do that so it's been really fun to be able to you know do investing for ourselves as well as friends and family and other people who want to invest in real estate who are working their careers i know how hard it is to try and go out and buy your own property um when you're working a full-time job and other things in life so it's been fun to help people get into real estate um without having them to figure it out all out themselves yeah we share that so you know um Alex, I believe I agree with everything you're saying about the Rich Dad Poor Dad book, which is why I said so many of our um, guests have, you know, that's changed their life, right? So it's so funny. I'm I'm trying to do that for my kids, and so my 13 year old, I read to her every single night, and I've always let her choose what book it is. But this time, I'm like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose this one, and, and guess which one I chose. Nice. So we're uh, we're reading Rich Dad Poor Dad together, my 13 year old and I, and oh my gosh, she is not enjoying it, man. She's just, it's cool how it's written like a story, so that helps a little bit. But you could just hear like eyes glaze over, and but hey, maybe one or two of the ideas in there sink in, right? So I'm, I'm hoping like what your dad did for you, and and now that's in your mind, I'm hoping to do the same thing for my kids. Um, but let's get into what you're doing now. So you are investing in apartments. You, you've gone much bigger than your fix and flip that you didn't enjoy. And you're bringing in private capital and, and doing what we're calling syndications. How, how I'm curious for you, how has the market and the interest rates impacted what you're trying to accomplish? Um, yeah, well, gosh, it's definitely slowed down commercial real estate. So we kind of transition from buying single family homes, which we started doing, you know, at least, you know, small two to four unit type properties and a larger multifamily apartment building. So anywhere from, you know, 10 up to 100 or 200 units. Um, and so that really is, you know, commercial real estate. And it's very much tied to interest rates just because you get loans on these properties and and that expense of paying interest factors into you know what you can offer on property. So over the last, like in 2023, I think the transaction volume around Colorado for commercial real estate dropped by like 70, 80, maybe 90% from where it was at the peak. So like Crazy. just way less transactions. So that's been the biggest impact as far as interest rates is like, it's just kind of put a halt on buying and selling right now. Um, we're still really busy, you know, operations have been tougher in the past year. Um, so we've spent a lot more time just, you know, not only interest rates going up, but it's been a kind of a triple whammy for, um, in 2023, as far as, you know, taxes going up, insurance going up, unfortunately, like evictions and, and, uh, bad debt, which is like people just not paying, taking, taking longer to get people out when they are needing to be evicted. You know, we don't like that, but it's happening more than it used to so like expenses have just gone up and um, yeah. everything's going up with the rents huh <laughs> yeah rent rents are pretty flat right now you know there's a lot of new properties coming online around colorado kind of all Especially around the colorado. country yeah so I've, I've been reading actually, a lot about that yeah denver's actually fared pretty well um just there's a lot of people still moving and um apartment demand is high but there's a lot of new supply coming online so those properties you know are trying to lease up and they're giving out big you know one or two free months so uh, you know it pulls a lot of people into those properties and makes it tougher to find you know tenants for ours um so yeah 2023 was you know a challenging year but um 
you know, we've done fine. Um, we haven't really been buying or selling anything. We've been looking at a lot of deals. I just pulled up our 2023 went through 86 deals around Colorado that we underwrote. Um, it's probably more than we actually even traded because, <laughs> you know, probably so. Brokers, we mainly work with brokers to find deals and, you know, they'll sh just like us, you know, we're willing to sell at a certain price um, and, you know, you have to see if there are buyers out there. So, you know, sellers will say, yeah, if you can sell it for this, you know, we'll sell. And so we get, you know, um, offering memorandums from brokers and we'll check out the deals or, or at least, you know, financials and rent rolls so we can analyze and kind of give feedback on where we would be able to get to on pricing and it really just hasn't worked out in the past year. So we've looked at a lot of opportunities and just very few are even trading. So I think we're pretty consistent with what other people are seeing and expecting in the market. And it's just kind of put a halt on buying and selling right now. So we're, we're definitely active um, looking for properties, you know, looking for good deals, letting brokers know what we're looking for. Uh, we're ready to go and something makes sense. Um, but yeah, just trying to be patient and wait for those right opportunities. And it seems like that bid ask spread between buyers and sellers is getting a little um, closer. So I think we'll probably see more transactions this year. I think we're already starting to see some more stuff happening this year. Um, we're getting a little closer on a couple of deals that you know, still aren't quite making sense, but getting closer. And I think everybody wants to start seeing, you know, things happen and interest rates are stabilizing and treasuries seem to be stabilizing a little. There's, you know, the fact the Fed halted their, their hikes at the end of last year, um, I think added a lot of um, stability and positivity of like, you know, they're probably not going to keep going up and at some point they're going to start coming down. There's a lot of, I guess, uncertainty when the coming down will happen, but just the fact that they're not jacking up rates anymore is helping um, get people saying like, okay, we're kind of, I don't know, maybe it's like at the bottom as far as, you know, values are down because interest rates are up, but like it's probably going to start turning soon. And I think people are getting more excited to start making some stuff happen. I find multifamily very interesting because there's such a demand for it. There's a lot of people doing exactly what you're doing, right? Trying to buy multifamily. That's where their comfort is. It's an easy transition from residential into this space. Um, and so because of that, we haven't seen cap rates coming up like you would expect. So for the listener, typically commercial real estate trades on cap rates. So that's basically an expected return before leverage. So if you're saying a good multifamily trades at maybe a five cap, and then you're borrowing your money, you're borrowing is maybe six and a half or seven. That, those numbers don't work, right? Because now you're borrowing higher than the, the property is producing. So we call that negative leverage, which is very interesting because if you think about a negative leverage situation, the more cash you put into the deal, the higher your cash on cash return is. So you de-risk the property by reducing leverage and you get a higher return on your dollar. I, I don't understand, and in Colorado specifically, how that continues to be that way have you seen any movement in the cap rates on the stuff you're looking at yeah cap rates are, have gone up a bit for sure um and i guess the fact they haven't gone up as much as interest rates is why nothing's happening it's weird right <laughs> no it's trades weird. are happening right because sellers don't want to sell at a much higher cap rate because that means a much lower value if they don't need to so 
and buyers don't want to buy when interest rates are high, they don't want that negative leverage unless there's like a really big value add opportunity. So exactly. yeah, good, that's kind of, you know, the fix and flip um, business plan and single family is, you know, buy something at a really low price point when you even rent out because it's so junky, but like you go fix it up and now it's worth a lot. And so we kind of look for those same opportunities in the apartment space. Um, ideally we're buying with positive leverage day one, but you know, we've had really good deals um, where we've bought and it's not cash flowing day one, but we go, you know, completely renovate the property and a year or two in we're, are, we're cash flowing really good, even with, you know, the interest rates where they are. So that's a good uh, point. And I, I should have, I should have said that you're absolutely right. The value add stuff is a whole different world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're always, you know, trying to look for good value add opportunities um, right now, you know, with values down, I think there are going to be some more motivated sellers with debt maturing this year. Mm -hmm. um, and with values down, they might not be able to refinance the way they expected to. So there might be some folks, you know, needing to sell at a time where it's not ideal to sell. Um, so we'd love to, you know, get into some newer property right now that isn't as big of a value add. Because um, usually value add comes, is like <laughs> synonymous with usually, you know, like older properties because they need fix up work and it's, um, a lot more work, but there's a lot more, you know, opportunity for returns there. Um, so yeah, more work, more risk, more return. Yeah. 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 Cap rates, you know, like when you, you made the comment about the more money you put down, like actually the better your return would be um, <laughs> when there's this negative leverage situation, just so the listeners know, like cap rate is the same as if you bought all cash for a property and didn't get a loan. So it's like what your return on investment would be with an all cash purchase. Um, so, you know, getting five or 6% is kind of like the five or 6% cap rate market we're in. And that's, you know, why do that right now? If, if there's not value add, when you can just go put money in like, you know, treasury and get that same return. So, um, yeah, you need to find deals that are going to provide the opportunity to get higher returns um, in the, you know, maybe not in cash flow year one, two, three, but like the fact that you're improving the value of the property by increasing NOI then over, you know, like a, a certain whole period of that property, you should be able to, you know, produce returns that are at least double digit um, for your investors. And, you know, for us, we're doing the work. Yep. I agree. And I, I, you know, because we're in the private lending business, we only lend on value add. So it's very common to see 24 months before you start seeing cash flow on something because it takes a little while to, especially in multifamily, it takes a while to renovate each unit, get it, the rents up. Um, so yeah, that's highly expected, I guess. Mm -hmm. I got a, I got a funny story for you real quick. I was just thinking of when we're talking about cap rates. So we're looking to buy a new building to move pine into. Um, we've been yes. leasing for a long time and I liked that because look, if there's a problem, I just call somebody. Right. Um, and I don't, I never wanted to own office. And it's a good thing <laughs> with what happened, you know, office values lost across the nation about 40% uh, to date. But so my story here is there's this little office building on, on Hampton and Denver. So this is, this is just like right outside of the urban core for those that don't understand, don't know Denver very well, but it's, it's on Hampton sort of like, um, uh, I guess, where, how, how would I describe this to you? Do you know where the, uh, the big, I think it's a, Chase building with the Chipotle in it on Hampton downtown. Anyway, it doesn't matter. 
So I was, I was looking at this office building and, and I could take up about one third of it. And so I was going to need to lease the other two. So this is like the basic house hack. If you're talking about residential real estate, right? Cool. And so I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm using the current lease numbers for my underwriting. So what can I, what can I lease it for? And then I would just plug in that same number for me to rent from myself. Basically the thing was, he was advertising this thing at a two cap. And so I, I challenged him on it. I'm like, I don't understand where you're getting your pricing from because if I do my numbers and I showed it all to him, so this thing's like a two cap. We can't, I can't pay this much. He's like, well, this is an owner-occupied deal. We don't trade on cap rates. Like, have hmm. you ever heard of anything like that before? Like, how do you value it if you don't trade on a cap rate? Yeah, yeah I don't know. I guess maybe there's some unique buyers out there that will, you know, just be looking for something for their own business enough so that they don't care about the long-term exit. <laughs> we'll just pay, we'll just pay whatever, just so that yeah. I mean, you talk about in housing, you know, and I know I'm throwing a lot of stats out here, but it's over 90% of the major markets. It's cheaper to rent than buy. We've heard this, right? So mm -hmm. it, it is across the nation, cheaper to rent than buy. Um, that's true in commercial right now too, especially yeah. if you're talking about <clears throat> overcharging for a property. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was at a conference yesterday and they were talking about in Denver here, they're talking about it was an apartment conference. They had, you know, panels of lenders, investors, brokers, um, developers. And they're saying the it's about 50% cheaper right now to rent versus own Whoa, housing more than because, I thought. You know, interest rates are up so much. If you're buying like a five hundred thousand dollar house around here, you know, Denver area, like in you're going to be paying like 4,000 or so a month and, you know, rents are probably half that. So it's really hard for people to be buying now. Um, and wow, yeah, the crazy. rental market's really strong. You know, I think there's also a mentality shift in the country where less people are wanting to pursue the dream of home ownership and there's more, you know, renters overall and people wanting the flexibility that renting offers. You know, to be able to move around more or um, live in areas that they might be able to buy. So, yeah, it's uh, definitely cheaper to rent than buy right now, which is good for, you know, the business of owning rental properties for sure. Well, I was going to ask you that. So what you're telling me when, when you say that rent is so much cheaper than owning, it means that rent hasn't kept up with values. So in that environment, it's hard to find a rental property. Right. So what would you, what advice would you give our listeners that are out there trying to find rentals and they're just struggling and they're frustrated? Um, yeah, I think it's, it's tough. You know, like we got started in the smaller space of, you know, two to four unit type stuff or even single family homes renting out. And it's hard for us. I mean, we're still open to doing that, but really we don't look at it too often, but it's really hard to make the returns make sense unless you're finding, you know, distressed property that you're going to, that no one else wants to buy to live in. And it makes sense as something you're going to go put all your sweat equity or, you know, fix up and make, add a lot of value to. Um, yeah, I don't think there's much trading in the, you know, small, smaller uh, investment space as well as the larger apartment space. Just like I said, you know, like, Trading volume was down 80% or so last year. And I think it's not a time to rush into anything, um, but kind of, I guess, be persistent, keep looking. Um, you know, 
we're continuing to look for good deals and we really like the business plans that we put together as far as we have a lot of friends and family that join our deals because um you know it's like we're buying purely for uh renting out and the, and the properties are priced very much based on business plans um this you know in the higher um larger unit count apartment space it's very much like a business um, most business plans are fairly similar between different buyers and so pricing of property is pretty straightforward and um when you find good deals it, i think it's you know easy to invest in our, our our offerings to get real estate exposure and get the benefits of real estate investing um without having to you know we're definitely spending a lot of time looking for deals and so if people are looking for investing in real estate you know like we can help with that as well as other people doing what we do and so you can kind of let other people go out there and do a lot of the work trying to find good opportunities to invest in versus you know listeners who are also you know trying to go find all their own deals it's just it's a lot of work to find some right now there's just not much happening so i don't know maybe it's just the answer your question it's like network with more people who can actually offer real estate opportunities so whether it's you know brokers that are going to give the listener their own deal to go buy and operate themselves or get you know network with more people that are doing syndication and so you can get on their um, list for future investment opportunities and you know kind of wait wait for those to come come around because there's not a whole lot happening right now this episode is brought to you by Pine Financial Group. Pine Financial is a private lender specializing in short-term rehab lending to real estate investors. Got a property that needs some love? We can help. We are able to offer funding solutions because we raise private money from individual investors. With more than 15 years of experience, Pine offers passive investors an alternative that provides stability, consistency, and security to your portfolio. If you like real estate but want to avoid the ups and downs and effort, a Pine Mortgage Fund could be a perfect fit for you. Accredited investors will experience an 8% preferred return and profit sharing. Diversify your portfolio out of Wall Street and into Main Street with a Pine Financial Group Mortgage Fund. Get more information at pinefinancialgroup.com. That's pinefinancialgroup.com. I love what you're saying here, Alex, because I, I totally agree. Like that. I don't want the listener to get discouraged because of how challenging the market is. Look, we know it's challenging, right? And it's going to loosen up, but it's not right now. It's tight. So if you're frustrated and you don't have the time to keep looking and you said, stay persistent, keep looking. If you don't have the time for that, maybe it is more of a passive investment until you get, um, until it loosens up a little bit and you have more time. So uh, there's really two types of <clears throat> passive investing, debt and equity, right? You are on the equity side. So you, this is, Probably not as much cash flow. Maybe it's if you're stabilizing a property, maybe no cash flow. Um, it's a little bit riskier because you're going to participate in ups and downs. Um, but there's a higher upside being part part of the owner. So you actually get some of the tax benefits. You get the appreciation of the property and that kind of thing. And then what we offer is the debt. So it's much lower return, very stable, very steady. It's secured. So if there's a problem, you get paid first. Um, it's just not as high a return. So there's these are two options for the listener if you're getting frustrated with buying properties. So let's talk, let's dig into the, the debt's really simple. You, you invest and you just get your money, right? Very simple, very passive. Mm -hmm. On your side, it's a bit more complicated because each syndication 
is a little different. So walk me through how you typically structure um, and what an investor can expect. Okay. Yeah. So we, you know, we're all looking for deals and our, but something that makes it a deal for us is a business plan that we can put together. That's going to provide cash flow while we own it. And yeah, it might be low in that first year or two, but ideally getting around six, seven, eight percent cash flow while we're owning and operating. But when we go sell on the back end, we've added value to the point where people are going to almost double their investment with us over a five-year period. That's kind of our our target. You know, maybe we're more at like 80, 90 percent, you know, return on investment over a five-year period. But those are the deals we're looking for. Um, and yeah, so it's been tougher. You know, we have some that we've bought in the past where that we still own and operate that are providing, you know, 20% returns right now. They're cash flowing really good. And others that are pretty much at zero because we've had struggles on income and expenses are up. And, you know, stuff we bought in the last couple of years has been tougher for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there's that uncertainty of, you know, what the future holds all the time, but we're always looking to, you know, buy, improve the property performance, provide that cash flow to investors while we own it. And then on the backside, you know, sell and really make um, a big gain for everybody. So IRR, you know, like we want to be in the upper mid to upper teens, ideally for any deal we're looking for, but you're right. Like it's, you know, it's tougher to find them right now. Like personally, we're, we're invested in, um, Pines Fund. So it's a great place for us to be parking some of our cash right now to make a good return. And because it's been tough to deploy our capital as, you know, equity into deals right now because we're not finding much. We also invest passively in other syndicators deals. Um, not so much in Colorado, we'd be open to it, but more in other states just to get exposure elsewhere. Um, but we haven't really done any of that in the last year either. Like we look at a lot of opportunities, but I think the deals that are getting put out, like we haven't been super excited um, for what we're seeing in those. I think that sometimes people are forcing them a little bit more than they should. But, you know, I think it is getting to the point where we're low in the market. Now is probably a really good time to buy. You think three to five years from now, we'll look back and be like, oh man, you know, yeah, I agree. We bought more. And um, so we're looking. It's just, yeah, you have to be a little bullish right now if you're going to be buying. Um, and we're trying to balance that to not get, you know, ahead of ourselves too much. But at some point, we're going to have to um, yeah, start getting something and um, we'll start seeing stuff happen more this year, I think, for sure. I can imagine it's a tricky balance for you because you want to you want to keep returns high for your investors, but if there's negative cash flow, you need to have enough reserves to handle that. So you you almost want to oversubscribe, mm -hmm. which basically what that means is you bring in more capital than you actually need from investors. So you, there's got to be a balance. You sort of want to oversubscribe so you have enough reserves, but you don't want to dilute the, the returns. So I can imagine... That's a, a tricky balance for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, definitely it's nice just to have the funds available. And now is like kind of a nice time to oversubscribe because extra cash that you're raising, you can just, you know, put it in a five or six, you know, around 5% <laughs> CD or just high yield savings at a bank and um, have those funds that are in reserve actually doing something, um, which helps, you know, the investors sure. too. And, um, yeah, so we do that for trying to make sure we maintain good reserves in a property. 
Yeah, that's interesting you say that because we we I see that sometimes with some of these larger syndications. Um, people will do it like a preferred return. So let's say it's a six, seven, or eight percent pref, we call it, or a preferred return, which just means the investor gets that before any managers get paid. Well, if they're saying you're a seven percent pref and you have money just sitting in a bank earning zero, that's going backwards, right? So we've seen we've seen syndicators invest in our fund at an eight percent just hmm. so they can meet that pref. You know, because our our fund pays out every single month, so it provides the liquidity or the cash to send out the the preferred return. So interesting, you say the the high yield money market. That's exactly that's exactly right. I'm seeing that as well. Yeah. So I do want to shift here, Alex, before we run out of time, and talk a little bit more about what you're doing for the community, the real estate investor community. I know you've done some educations. You're jumping on podcasts like this one, where you're trying to give your knowledge. So. Weren't you working on like a meetup or something and anything that you want to chat about as far as what education you're providing? Yeah, you know, our company, Regency Investment Group, we've been trying to put out monthly, at least quarterly newsletters that are kind of educational just to help our investor community, that, you know, subscribe to our newsletter, kind of see what we're, you know, understand what we're, what we're seeing in the market and then also try and provide some education. We've done a local meetup um, where we held an event and like have our CPA come and talk about tax strategies for real estate investing. And um, we might do some more of that um, or at least maybe do virtual. But yeah, we try and, you know, we're always out learning ourselves. You know, I was at this conference yesterday learning what's going on in the local market, learning about some, you know, I've been doing cost segregation stuff for properties for a long time. And I just learned something yesterday on that. So, um, What'd you, like? you know, you do the, the cost segregation, I'll just give listeners this little tidbit of, you know, we do when we buy stuff for tax reasons, we'll, you know, you get to depreciate rental property. And if you do a cost segregation study, instead of just, you know, depreciating it over 27 and a half years, you know, one twenty seventh every year as a straight line depreciation, you can essentially segregate the property to understand what material that property is five year depreciable, seven year depreciable, 15 year versus the 27 and a half. And everything that's 15 or less in the last several years, <clears throat> we've been able to take bonus depreciation. So like you get that big write off in the first year of ownership, which has been really, really cool. And last year it phased down to 80%. For you. You've essentially, like the example given was like, you have this old carpet or whatever flooring and you've owned the property for five years. Well, that was five year depreciable property. And so when you sold the property and it doubled in value, all those things that you depreciated, they didn't double in value because they've, you, like the IRS agrees, like the value of those things has gone down. Like they depreciated and they need to be replaced at some point. So you can take a lot of that off. So the depreciation recapture tax is actually a lot lower um, than it would be if you didn't do the cost seg. And it was just cool to hear that. Um, I've heard it's, you know, there's benefits of doing depreciation beyond just, um, you know, the year one, but now I like, actually understood a little bit why that is. And um, so yeah, there's a lot of good tax strategies for doing real estate investing. Yeah. So yeah, we're so all make trying sure to I heard this right, Alex. Excite. I want to just want to make sure that the listener caught this and that I heard this correctly. So if you're depreciating your property now, 
Um, if you qualify for real estate status, a real estate professional status, you could write off your ordinary income, which is whatever tax bracket you're in. Mm -hmm. When you sell and have to recapture, you're going to be paying the tax at the much lower capital gains rate. Yeah. So you're basically shifting and it's also into the future. So you have the time value of money as well, but it's going from your tax bracket rate to 15 or 17 and a half, depending on whatever it is. So you're, you're really lowering your rate as well. Did yeah, I hear that right? Like, I think the tax strategies are trying to, you know, you're trying to move from a higher taxable rate to a lower, um, you know, that's the goal and moving into capital gains is, is <laughs> about as low as you can get. Mm -hmm. um, some of the depreciation recapture is not at capital gains. Some is, you know, at like a 20% or 25, I don't remember what it is for depreciation recapture. Um, but by doing that cost segregation study, you can actually get a lot of it to go um, to make it realize that it's actually capital gains that, that occur. I think the capital gains rate is 20 plus the, the what is it, the Obamacare or whatever. Yeah, so if you're, in a, if you're at a higher, if you're at the highest tax bracket, you bump up on your capital gains, I think. Yeah, I don't remember there if it's 15 or 20 or 20 or 25 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's still lower than the ordinary 37 and a half or whatever that is. Yeah. Right? But yeah, you know, a lot of the strategies we've done is due depreciation. You know, if your listeners are familiar with 1031 exchanges, that's a great technique to go sell and not have to pay any of that tax. You just roll it into the next property. Um, or if you don't do a 1031, you can do, you know, bonus depreciation to get big offsets to whatever uh, gains you did have that same year. So yeah, both strategies are really helpful for tax planning. I mean, we pay a ton in taxes, don't get me wrong, but it's all property tax. Like we try and limit our tax exposure on our, you know, personal income tax. Um, and it's not, you know, we're just doing exactly what the IRS essentially wants us to be doing. Right. Like we have incentives for property investors because they need to provide housing for the citizens and um, they, you know, make tax benefits for people who, who do this type of work and, and invest in this type of stuff. So it's, you know, great opportunities to take advantage of it. And save on personal income tax but yeah don't forget you're paying a lot in property tax yeah for all these properties you manage and own so i didn't mean to get off track so much there i do i do want to go back to your education stuff so the the meetup group that you were doing are, are you getting what's just i mean just ask a more broad question are you getting value from the education you're providing to the community are, are people investing in your deals are they bringing you deals like what kind of benefit are you or your company getting from this um, yeah, you know, I think by putting out educational material just helps get people more um, comfortable with investing in real estate and understanding the nuances. Um, I think, you know, until we'd rather, you know, be sending out quarterly deal opportunities, but there haven't right. really been those. Um, so it's nice to be able to provide something. And I think even when we have deals available, those are huge educational opportunities for Anyone who's interested in this, like just to listen, we put a, web, a webinar together, talk through a business plan, what we're going to do for the property, and people can learn a lot. I think just go, you know, listening to that and asking questions and seeing, you know, what we're doing for these business plans and understand how the return on investment is calculated and what things we take into account. Um, yeah, so we used to kind of 
use our deals as like really good education opportunities, but there haven't been a lot of those happening. So, you know, putting out more information just to help people um, see what, what we're, what we're seeing and learn like, you know, uh, something about what, about the business. Um, I think my wife, Sarah, she's working on a newsletter right now about just goal planning. You know, it's early in the year still. We did ours. We're like, we really should share with folks like what we do. Um, yeah. Because it's been really helpful um, in our lives for, you know, setting a plan for the year and trying to put on a big calendar what some of the key milestones are we want to achieve and and scheduling things to make sure they happen this year and having check-ins occasionally to make sure we're not forgetting about those goals we set at the beginning of the year and keep making progress towards them. Um, so yeah, I think that newsletter is probably going to go out, you know, today or tomorrow for, again, just something to get people, our investors to think about it and hopefully it can help, help them out. I love it. Check in on your goals. That's what so many people don't do that. So that was, that was great to hear you say that. Um, uh, trying to think yeah, if there's anything else our... I should ask you before I close out. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, yeah. Just like, yep. We really uh, honor our calendars as far as like, if you put stuff on the calendar, you do these goals and like, it's easy to write them down. And then if you don't come back and look at them, but yep. what's going to make you come back and look at it? And it's like, if it's on the calendar, you know, three times a monthly or quarterly to go review that and give a status. And it's like, okay, shoot, today's our, you know, review goal day. And let's, you know, go have it actually yeah. spend time on that. Cause hold yourself accountable. Right. So in, in, in my, in my business in pine, we do like rocks. Like I learned this from the traction book. So we have 90 day plans for everybody, including myself. And it's all based on the, you know, the one and five year goals that we have. So we just back it down to little bite-sized chunks. So 90 days, what's their goal? And we bonus on this and everything. So it's, we're highly focused on it. And we have our little review meetings with everybody and go over their 90 day to see how they did. And so it's a, it's a check-in four times a year so we could accomplish that annual goal. So, and I can tell you, that's really changed the trajectory of our company once we implemented that. So I totally agree and love what you're saying about this. That's great. Cool. All right, man. So how do we, um, I, I want to ask you, I felt like there was something else I wanted to ask you. I, I definitely want to get your contact information. And if anyone wants to subscribe to your newsletter or check out one of your webinars, I do agree that if you're, even if you don't invest with Alex, if you go through one of the webinars and how he underwrites a deal, I think you could learn a lot about it. Now I, I remember what I was going to ask you. So we want to encourage and motivate and educate the listener, right? And you were able to be successful going from one house to a threeplex to a fix and flip to now hundreds of units. How do you, how does the listener go from residential single family homes into apartments or commercial real estate? Like what advice would you give them? Um, well, yeah, I think listening to podcasts like this education, I think is really powerful. Um, just getting out and making, making moves, you know, being a passive investor in a deal and seeing how these are put together, if that's their goal to get into, you know, larger apartments. Um, I think it helps just seeing how they're operated and being able to participate and ask questions. Um, I think there's opportunities to partner with folks um, if they want to be more active and 
you know, figure out ways that they can add value to a team for, you know, finding a deal or um, helping manage in some capacity or helping raise funds in some capacity and like, you know, um, being stewards of uh, helping a deal come together. There are opportunities there, but yeah, I think just being active, keep learning, um, keep getting out, networking, um, feel free to, you know, reach out and ask. I'm always ha happy to have a call or meet up with someone to share, you know, specifics, because I think everyone's in their own unique situation. And um, yeah, there are lots of different ways probably to pursue it. But I think just continuing to take steps and participate, um, just know that it's not like get rich quick type thing. And it's good to just keep uh, taking the steps forward. And eventually it really starts picking up. All right. And you're in Colorado and you just said, I'm not, I'm, I'm your words. You're willing to sit down and meet with people if, sure, they, yeah. if they contact you. Cool. That's really cool. So, uh, you know, a, a fair amount of our listeners are from Colorado since that's where I'm at. Um, so tell us, man, how do we, how do we get a hold of you? Oh yeah, cool. Well, we have a website. It's regencyinvestmentgroup.com. So you can check that out, kind of use an overview of what we do. And there's a newsletter to sign up. My contact information's on there. I think phone and email. Um, yeah, happy to follow up with anyone who reaches out. And uh, our newsletter, I think there's a sign up where you can get, I think it's like a 10 things to watch for or something like that when you're looking to do invest like passive investing into a syndication um and then just you know meeting with us to get we like to get to know our investors and know how we can help them and then we share our future opportunities with them if it makes sense to do so and so they can see what kind of deals we're putting together and see if it makes sense for them to be investing with us nice so regencyinvestmentgroup.com that's how you reach alex we'll put that in the show notes alex this is what I learned today. Be persistent. Keep looking for deals because you know what? It's a tough market, but their deals are out there. Um, if you're not interested in that, you can invest passively in debt or equity. Equity would be a, a good one if you're looking for the cost segregation benefits and the tax benefits. Stick to your plan. You mentioned that several times today. So you are very keen on your and Sarah's plan and sticking to that um, we talked about the the depreciation and how you can move from an ordinary income to a capital gains rate. <clears throat> Looking for deals or look at deals, like how someone else underwrites them. So join you on one of your webinars. That's a huge education piece. Check in on your goals and education is super powerful. Keep learning and take steps forward. Did I miss yeah. anything? No, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love this. Thanks for putting this together and it's nice to talk with you. Yeah, man, it's been a little while since I've seen you. I know we're both, we're both, or you, I think you might have been. I don't know if you're still part of the commercial academy, but we were seeing each other more frequently when we were both going to that. I haven't been able to go as much because I've been so busy, and I think you were gonna take a break or something. So maybe we get together sometime. Um, love to do that. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, we're both local here. We definitely need to meet up more. Yeah, why don't we? Right, exactly. All right, man, check them out. Regencyinvestmentgroup.com. Alex, thank you. And for the listener, I hope you make this day a great one. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you did, please be sure to follow and leave us a review. Oh, yeah. And tell a friend.